On this week's Big Tech Show, you might not think it could happen to you, but our guest this week explains how a significant number of Irish people may be falling victim to romance frauds online. Victims can feel a misplaced sense of shame. People can blame themselves. They feel embarrassed. And so they don't want to tell family, friends. They don't want to report it to the police. In some cases, of course, the victims are already in relationships. They're married. They have an extra reason to keep that quiet. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcasts platforms. On the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, I'm delighted to be joined by international best-selling author Heman Sunim, telling us what to do when things don't go your way. When we are, you know, very young and have a first love and the first love did not work out, we feel as though this is the end of the world. However, we learn that is not the case. We move on. We find some other people. We begin to see that uh, when things don't go your way, uh, maybe it's not the end. As ever, we're available on all podcast platforms. This is an Irish independent podcast. It probably concerns me less having someone coming in with that South African mindset and maybe a more conservative type game plan because you have so many other good pieces around him that have been in Leinster for a while. And I don't think we'll see Leinster come back from that attacking style of play, but more so I think this is like, this adds another another string to the bow, if you like. It's been a very interesting few days in Irish rugby with Leinster making a big statement with Stuart Lancaster's replacement while Munster reignited their season with an impressive win down in South Africa. Welcome to the Left Wing Podcast. Will Slattery here with you and I'm delighted to be joined by Keen Tracy and Luke Fitzgerald to chat through a host of intriguing URC talking points. And Keen, we have to start with that Leinster announcement last weekend. People were very intrigued to see who Stuart Lancaster's replacement would be. I don't think anyone was predicting it would be Springboks head coach Jack Nienaber. What do you make of the appointment? Certainly a big splash. It's a big name. It's another international head coach like Stuart Lancaster. But, you know, stylistically on paper anyway, it doesn't seem to be, you know, a, a perfect fit in that regard. But what's your view on it? Uh, I think it's a it's a brilliant move, to be honest, Will. Um, I think you're right. I, I certainly didn't see or hear his name being mentioned at all, at all. Like the, the kind of names that you were hearing being mentioned were more so down in the kind of New Zealand area but I think it's a it's a massive coup like you said like we were well I was sitting down at home on Saturday kind of waiting for the feast of rugby that was on and all of a sudden Leinster dropped this bombshell and it's very unusual for rugby news to be broken on a Saturday unless you're you're at a world cup but like seemingly the word had gotten around in South Africa that this was going to happen so Leinster and the Springboks together felt like they needed to get it out so definitely came from a, a bolt from the blue but yeah I think it's a great move I've, I've seen a lot of people Leinster fans online you know maybe slightly concerned about the like you, you said there will stylistically like what will he bring? But I certainly don't think there's any chance that Lens are suddenly going to rip up their game plan and their style of play and play like this. the Springboks do. I don't think for a second that's going to happen. Look, it's interesting. Obviously, Stuart Lancaster does uh, attack and defence. Um, I know Jack Neenarber in title is the head coach of the Springboks, but you like really and truly, that that's Rassi Erasmus's team, I think you'd have to say. I know he's the director of rugby and he's got his kind of fingers in a lot of different pies and you know doing a good job at that but I, I still think it's Rassi's team and it's Rassi's game plan and Jack Neenarber is a defensive specialist so it'll be interesting to see how Leinster juggle kind of the backroom team my impression would be certainly from what you hear in the ground would be that Andrew Goodman will be given more of um more reign over the attack uh, like than he already has he's obviously doing a lot this season he's been working closely with Stuart Lancaster so my sense is that he would probably become the attack coach and Nina were focusing mainly on defense and I know he'll come in as a senior coach but and he'll, he'll certainly have stuff to offer on the attacking side of things but I don't think um, Leinster are going to become the Springboks uh, from his time at Munster he was hugely hugely popular I know he was only there for a couple of years and he left at the same time as Rassi Erasmus when he went back to the Springboks and obviously won the World Cup. Like, like it's interesting that he's kind of breaking free almost of Rassi because Jacques Nienarber and Erasmus have been a duo basically most of their coaching careers since Nienarber gave up being a full-time physio. The two of them go way back. They came through the South African military together, their best mates. So this is an interesting move for him. But from a Munster perspective, like anyone I spoke to when he was there spoke so, so highly of him um, as a coach and as a person, like he's a real good motivator. And my understanding that when Rassi Erasmus got posted 
coached back by the Springboks was at the time that Munster wanted Neen Arbor to become their head coach. Now, obviously, he had never been a head coach before he took on the head coach role with the box, but that's how highly Munster rated him at the time. They saw clearly saw something in him as as the main man and they made him a very good offer to become head coach but you know the lure of going back to the Springboks and for a World Cup with his best mate Rassi Rasmus and look that turned out to be the right decision because they went on to win the World Cup obviously so um, I'd imagine yeah he'll come in Leo Cullen will still be the main man but like if you look at Leinster over the last couple of years, you'd probably say defensively they could improve and they've gotten one of the best defensive minds in the game. Like he made such a big difference to Munster's defence. Like they got to, what did they get to? Pro 12, what was it? Pro 12 final against the Scarlets that time. Their attack, okay, maybe needed a little bit more work, but defensively there was no doubt that he made improvements. And I'd imagine he'll come in and do something similar with Leinster. Um I think the players would really, really buy into him. He's bringing an awful lot of IQ from South Africa. Like by the time he arrives, he could be arriving potentially as a back-to-back World Cup winning coach, which would be phenomenal. And it just shows the pull of Leinster, I suppose, to go out and get a name like that. I think a lot of supporters would have been a bit anxious about who was going to come in and replace Lancaster. It's such a big job to fill, but by the sounds of it, Sean O'Brien will take on a little bit more responsibility next year. And if he's being groomed as, you know, the potential kind of future Leinster defence coach, then what better man to be learning off the Niemlarber? So I think it's a great move, Will. Um, I think it'll be fascinating to see how it works out. But I think, yeah, Leinster have done really well here. Yeah, Luke, what's your view? And like, Leinster haven't really had a South African influence, you know, as a co- in the coaching box before, as far as I can think off the top of my head. Like, obviously, New Zealand with Joe Schmidt, Kurt McQuilkin was there in Australia. You had Michael Checa, Matt O'Connor, you know, David Knox as well as a backs coach. But South Africa, a South African voice, that kind of viewpoint, married with, you know, Andrew Goodman's New Zealand influence in the back line, that could potentially be a very interesting mix. Yeah, it's an interesting point you make because I was trying to think of that myself. And I, there's actually been lots of South African players that have played for, for Leinster. Uh, without any of them having, to my memory, a really, you know, operating with great distinction, if you know what I mean. Like a lot of people, kind of some, some disappointing ones here and there that maybe didn't live up to expectations, um, you know, having come over big, big reputations. But um, interesting to see if that, you know, if that changes in the, in the, in the coaching ticket. I, I would agree with Keane. I think. You know, you've heard me harping on for for quite a while, Will, uh, about you know Leinster and and just wanting them to be a little bit more accurate uh, defensively. I think that's probably the next step for them. You know, uh, and I think that's probably been a big reason why they haven't been able to get over the line against some of the bigger opposition. Um, you think of the Saris uh, games where they kind of got bullied around a little bit by them, and obviously the La Rochelle games. Um, so yeah, I always think that Leinster could be a bit stingier defensively. I think even think look, it probably being very harsh considering. I wouldn't say the scratch team put together on the weekend and we'll go into it in more detail, but you could still see there's defensively, they're, they're a little bit loose. Uh, I think they've been able to get themselves out of tight corners and tight situations with their attack being so much better than all the opposition teams in the league. But when they come up against the big boys, I think that's where they've felt that little bit of stinginess in defense has cost them. Uh, and particularly last year in that final against La Rochelle, some of the some of the defensive errors for the tries um, were fairly basic and disappointing for a team so good. So they shouldn't have this issue. But someone like Ninabar coming in, it, all the chat has been that he he's very very highly ca- kind of capable guy. Uh, as Kean said, uh, you know, is able to motivate a group, so can do that head coaching job. Uh, probably hasn't done it as much, but um, you know. Uh, you know, probably a lot of that has been left up to, to Erasmus. But I, I think having Cullen there is kind of key to all of this, Will. And it probably concerns me less having someone coming in with that South African mindset and maybe a more conservative type game plan um, because you have so many other good pieces around him that have been in Leinster for a while. And I don't think we'll see Leinster come back from that attacking style of play. Um, but more so, I think this is like, uh, this adds another another string to the bow, if you like. Um, and I think he will add value defensively to the team. And if he does that, I think that that takes Leinster into a, into a really, really nice space. And I think it does bring the group forward from, from what Lancaster has been able to achieve with them. So I think very, very positive. I, I like, he, he's a big time coach. Uh, I, I think that was a good point that you made around, you know, bringing in quality uh, in, into the setup. Um, you know, coming from a, a South African international coaching setup to, to Leinster, um, it does speak to the appeal of the club um, and, and what the, they've been able to do. And I think what it does really speak to is 
you know, I think what's coming through as well, what we saw on the weekend, uh, I'd be excited about coming in to coach this Leinster team, knowing that there is lots and lots of raw talent that you could get your hands on as well. Because I think that's the real appeal with, with going from, say, an international setup to going through to like a club setup is that you have a day-to-day impact. You can really see... Uh, and make an impact on young players' games and see, you know, watch that come to fruition as well as obviously having lots of established stars where you can, you know, win the big competitions and be competing on all fronts. So um, I think it's a good addition, a good, uh, it's a good, um, it's a good signing for, for both parties. And I'm really excited about what the, what, what this kind of brings or what he can bring to Leinster and what Leinster can do for him too. Yeah, I agree with both points both of you have made. Like, I am intrigued to see what changes he can bring in within the kind of overall framework that served Leinster so well. Because, you know, as Keen said, it would be it would be ridiculous to just rip up what's been so successful. And what also was very exciting to watch and what fans want to see to go away to a more pragmatic sauce. So I don't think that would be the case. I suppose he, he is coming in after the World Cup, so it'll probably be a while before we see, you know, his fingerprints because, you know, the, the season will be up and running for a number of rounds by the time he kind of gets his feet under the desk. But yeah, but by the season end, when the business end comes and those big tests come, it will be interesting to see what sort of you know impact he can make. And, you know, as you mentioned, South Africa's defence has, has been one of their hallmarks. I think they conceded one try in the knockout stages at the last World Cup, if memory serves. So it, it has been a real focus for them. Keen, in terms of Leinster in South Africa at the weekend, generally... The Sam Prendergast show, I know Leo Cullen's already trying to dampen down expectations, uh, but he did have a very good game, man of the match. Obviously, it was a very impressive fight back for Leinster to get the victory, but from the Sam Prendergast perspective, like what, what stood out to you? Yeah, I did, I did have to laugh, actually, when Leo Cullen came out with that. And, like, he does that all the time. And I can totally understand it from a coach's perspective. But, I don't know, you see people online saying it as well. Like, not to, you know, overhype guys. But, like, that's rubbish. I think that's a other bollocks. Like, you know, what, what, am I, what am I meant to do? Like, a guy who won a Grand Slam on the 20s level in his first start gets man of the match. Am I meant to pretend that, like, that didn't happen or that that's not an impressive thing or an exciting thing to watch? Like, I think that's rubbish. But isn't, isn't this what sport is all about? Yeah. Being excited about like young players and like you know I know there's like this narrative out there though that the media just build these players up to knock them down again and that's just not true at all like um so like like you look at it in any sport like you know Evan Ferguson coming through at the moment with the Irish football team like it's like everyone should be excited about this it's class to see young players breaking through and playing at such a high level so um yeah, I, I was really impressed. Like I've I've covered him quite a bit with the twenties and things like that and seen him in schools, bits and pieces. So um like his I suppose his his trajectory has been marked out for quite some time and in every level he's been asked to step up, he's done it. And that was probably the most impressive thing for me last week was that he just looked so calm and comfortable at that level. And I know it wasn't perfect, it was never going to be, but it's his timing on the ball. He seems to have like an extra half a second on the ball that others around him don't. And like it just allows him to put beautiful shape on his passing, uh, really confident in everything he was doing. He seemed to be guiding and, you know, shouting at the pack and the back line, which was really, really encouraging. So, um, look, the comparisons between Johnny Sexton are already being drawn. And while I do think that's obviously a little bit unfair, it was interesting. I was chatting to Johnny's brother, Mark Sexton, who was obviously the attack coach with the Ireland under 20s who won the Grand Slam so he's been working day in day out with Sam Prendergast over the last couple of months and I was asking him about those comparisons and he said they're fair so I mean if Johnny Sexton's brother is saying the comparisons are fair then we should really believe it so um, his point was that he has a very similar temperament he plays the game in a similar way wants to win and you know is can be narky when he needs to be as well so uh, he seems to have it all obviously it's very very early days and I've seen people talking about is he a bolter for the World Cup squad now I think that's very premature and I think that's getting ahead of ourselves so it'd be great to see him get another start uh, this weekend against the Bulls and then you know, realistically, unless there's a load of injuries, we probably won't see him again until next season, which is grand because it allows him to go off to the under-20s World Cup and allows him to get more experience there and hopefully come back in with Leinster at the start of the season where there will be opportunities because players will be away at the World Cup. So um, I was very impressed as, as debuts go and even like, you know, they were playing at altitude and you'd imagine they kind of would have wilted in the second half, if anything, but they seemed to grow into the game and turned around a half-time deficit. So, um, obviously, Sam Prendergast kicking the winning penalty at the end as well was the cherry on top, a pretty straightforward kick, but he still had to still had to nail it. So, um, 
anyone who's watched Sam Prendergast in the under 20 Six Nations will, I know you have as well, we've seen how good this guy is. You know, you had Sonny Bill Williams anointing him with that offload as well. So the step up is huge. And we've discussed this on the podcast before you going from 20s to professional rugby. But as debuts go, it really couldn't have went much better for him. So hopefully he kicks on from here now. Yeah, just two things to add to what you said there, Keen. Like, I think what what was impressive or more impressive than your average debut was that it was away in South Africa. Like, I know it was the Lions who are the weakest of the four pro- uh, franchises down there, but it's still a place where the URC teams have really struggled away from home. And, and he was very, very composed. His passing was very good. So I think, like, it, it was an impressive debut. So I don't think there's a reason to pretend otherwise. And the key point I think you make is the start of next season when the World Cup is on. Like if you think back to the last time that happened, 2019, Ronan Kelleher, lots of game time. Hugo Keenan, lots of game time. Kalen Doris, lots of game time. And then when the Champions Cup rolled around, those guys are really well placed to kick on for the rest of the season. And I know out half is a bit more congested with a few other you know, people like Harry Byrne and Kieran Frawley. But if Sam Prendergast can get in for a few early season games, and sorry, and even 2015, I think Gary Ringrose started a lot of games in, in that period when the World Cup was on in 2015. So it can be a really important period for, for some young players. So... Certainly watch that space later on, Luke. What about you, Luke, from the weekend in, in that Leinster game stood out? You know, Sam Prendergast or anything else? Yeah, well, just a touch on that. I mean, I think um, it was fantastic to see him play so well. Um, you know, really liked lots of things I like about him. I like I liked some similarities to, to Crowley as well down in Munster, I think, with the little bit of bite for the tackle. Like, he's, uh, he's not afraid to get stuck in. He obviously looks very, very light. Like, he looks like a young guy. So, I think a summer will be very, very good for him. So, maybe one more game. Hope he doesn't get injured. And then I think the key thing for him is just to keep his feet in the ground, um, continue to try and improve every day. I think he's in a good setup to do that. Um, he'll need to put on some weight, but not too much because I still think the fitness is really, really important for anyone playing that 10 position. Anyone I've seen with who's played that position really, really, you know, to a, to a great standard, your, your, your Matt Gittos, Dan Carters, Johnny Wilkinson. Um, you know, I always think those great, those, the greats of the game, and that's probably pumping them up a little bit. But if he thinks about that, those guys were all super, super fit. Um, but they did have enough muscle on them to keep them, you know, keep them safe during the, the big collisions and that. And he looks like he's hungry for that part of it, as I said earlier on. So I like that about him. Looks like he's got the skills, liked a little bit of time in the ball. Could work a little bit maybe on the straightening up a little bit that, that Johnny Sexton is so, so good at. I think that's really set him apart. Um, and he's in a great place to, to learn from him. I'm sure, you know, he, he should try and create a relationship there with Johnny um, that he can, you know, talk to him and, you know, get some guidance from him, um, you know, in the initial parts of his career. Um, Johnny's always very forthcoming with, with any advice that you're looking for. So there's a, uh, there's a resource there that he should definitely be using. Um that will be around in Ireland for, for the next year and a critical part of his career. Um, last point on him, I think the 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 point you make about, I mean, you probably just touched on it there, the biggest challenge for him is going to be getting games in Leinster. Uh, I think Harry Byrne looks like he's playing some good rugby again, looks like he's you know maybe staved off that kind of those injury concerns. We've Ross Byrne playing excellent rugby. He looks like he's number one in line for this Irish jersey. Um, so that's a big, big challenge for him. And Frawley's there too. So, um, while he looks brilliant uh, and a great prospect, big concern about is he going to get enough game time or is he going to be one of these guys that ends up like a Harry Byrne where you know you might play three or four games a season, get an injury and all of a sudden you miss a few short windows that you have. That's his big, That's my biggest concern with him. Um, but I'm not going to harp on about that too much. Really, really impressive start to his uh, Leinster career. Um, just in terms of Leinster, like lots of positives. Jeez, uh, the Appalachia try was outstanding, wasn't it? What a turn of pace! Great short line, lovely pass by Prendergast for that too. By the way, um, I thought that uh, I thought Will Connors was excellent. I don't know what you guys thought. Some of his tackling was outstanding, and he looks like he he's back in good form. Just exactly what Leinster need. Another back rower, uh, you know, another top quality international back back rower playing very well. Um, but some of the backs as well, I was really impressed with with, with the showing there. I, I think the defence could improve, but it was a bit of a scratch team put together at short short enough notice. So you probably expect there to be a few cracks there. But I thought the the, the heart and the fight showed 
was really, really impressive. And I'm, I'm, I don't know about you guys, but really looking forward to seeing how the team performs under under Sean O'Brien this week. I think that was really interesting to hear Leo Cullen talking about, you know, giving him a little bit more responsibility this week to take the team forward. Um, Sean is a guy who, you know, I've said on the show, uh, Will, when he was talking about, you know, what he was going to do next after his rugby career. Oh, actually, maybe, actually, sorry, maybe I was interviewing him for something else. Excuse me. Um, but anyway, I, I did say to him at the time is that I thought he was crazy not to not to uh, go down the, the rugby coaching path because I think he's built for it. Great mind for the game, uh, great speaker and very motivating. So really excited to see if he can get the uh, reaction out of the team this week in another big performance after a huge one last week in what is a very difficult place to play rugby. So, um, yeah, lots to lots to admire about what, what's going on at Leinster at the moment. We've touched on the Nina Bar thing, but I just really like the way Leo Cullen runs the show there. I think he's done a super job, um, is doing a super job, and I think he will continue to do so. He looks like a guy who doesn't need any praise. He just keeps doing, you know, just keeps on trying to make the best decision at each juncture that he's at with all the available information and seems to be doing a super job. And he's a real calm head, um, you know, managing that tiller forward for, for Leinster rugby. So it seems to be in a great place, guys, doesn't it? I think um, Leinster certainly going from strength to strength. Yeah, well, it's some position to be in when, like, you not only can you blood a lot of young guys, you can blood coaches as well, and all the coaches go back to Dublin to prepare for uh, the Toulouse game next week, and you can kind of bring Sean O'Brien in, and I'm really intrigued. Not the easiest first game, you know, the Bulls and Loftus first felt is probably about as tough as it comes, but it'll be a massive test for, you know, Sam Prendick, as we mentioned, some of those other young guys, so very intrigued to see how they go at the weekend, but, but keen from a Munster perspective. Another massive game in South Africa over the weekend was their win against the Stormers, which has been a complete fortress. Whatever about Loftus first, well, like the Stormers at home have just been, you know, very, very difficult. I don't think they'd lost a URC home game, or maybe they'd lost one. No, to no, South I don't think they have. You're right, I think. Yeah, maybe, no, maybe no, to no. a, I think they might have lost to a South African team, but not not to a URC team. Um, such an impressive, you know, performance considering what we talked about in the previous games against the Sharks and some of the defensive issues against the Glasgow Warriors and the Scarlets to to, to go and win down there and to reignite their season was so impressive. Yeah, it was absolutely outstanding, Will. Um, yeah, like they came to, we were on the call yesterday and Mike Prendergast, I thought, summed it up well. Like when they were leaving Ireland, like they were very much a wounded animal and like not many people gave them a chance against the Stormers. To be honest, I didn't see them beating the Stormers either. Just on the back of the evidence that we'd seen in the previous probably two and a half games, particularly against the Sharks when they were just overpowered, defensively really poor. But God, like to score two mall tries, Early on, I thought against the Stormers really, really set the tone. You had that scuffle in the 18th minute with Peter O'Mahony in the thick of it. And I don't know, a few stray Stormers hands, which I, I was very surprised didn't get looked at more. But, very um, surprised. I, I just, I don't know what was happening there. I, I was, mm. yeah, I was very surprised that that didn't wind a closer look as well. Yeah, I was going to say Will, uh, Luke knows all about kind of stray South African hands, <laughs> South African soon. hands in your face. Yeah. <laughs> uh, didn't look like it was, it, the weird thing is, and this is probably why, it looked like it was purely like a grabbing the face. Like it didn't look like... He went he, twice. He, he, he went for it twice, though, which was the the thing, and then there was about yeah, a minute it's between stupid, them. stupid, wasn't it? Mm. It looks, looked more like a clumsy, stupid thing than a like a, a, a targeted attack on an eye or something like that, which is... What, look, it, it, you know what? Whenever you're in that kind of space, like that's a crazy space to be. Those bands are huge. Obviously, not back in not, not back when I was playing. It only warranted a yellow card. Um, yeah, when you although he was making his fiftieth cap, which is which was the excuse given at the time. Um, mental stuff. But anyway, um, let's move on from that. Jesus Christ, talk about bringing up all wounds. But um, Sorry, yeah, it was a bit of a bit of a crazy kind of thing to be doing, isn't it? At this stage, when the punishments are so so large for messing around with that area, and we're talking about something where like nothing really happened uh, with it, but just that we're even in the area, it's so risky for your career, isn't it? To be doing and like it had no effect on anyone. It was ah crazy stuff. But um, sorry, Keen, I I just thought they were. I was so impressed, and we talked about how many points they shipped the last couple of weeks. But like I'm sure you know you're you're unbiased uh, as ever uh, with with the pen in hand, um. But that must have been so so pleasing, uh, given how worrying that kind of trend was towards the end of the season. You're kind of thinking, geez, is this thing collapsing? Having had such a good, I, I think uh, they've really turned things around in there. There's a feel good factor around the camp, and then post Six Nations, you're kind of saying, oh no, have we regressed? Yeah, I think yeah. The reason I brought that incident up was because. 
I really felt like they were already Munster were already seven nil to the good, and I just felt like you know it was an old school scuffle. The whole pack steamed in, and it kind of like the battle. Oh, man, like, oh man, he's made for that kind of stuff. And you know, and like it can become a bit of a cliche, will, but like the battle lines were drawn there, and Munster were like, we're not taking a backward step here today. And four minutes later, they scored their second mall try, and to score two mall tries against that Stormers pack when. You know, we all would have had concerns about Munster being overpowered. I thought it was a massive psychological win. And obviously, like, the Stormers came back into the game, so Munster had to pick it up and go again. And their third quarter against the Sharks was obviously so poor, but this time it was outstanding. I mean, they left Joey Carberry out of the matchday squad, and, like, you'd have to say that decision paid off because Jack Crowley, I thought, played well at 10, and Ben Healy made a big impact off the bench. But I thought this was a victory that was really, really, a lot of it was down to the pack. I mean... You had Stephen Archer playing 80 minutes. Like you had um, Jeremy Lockman, his first game back, played 76 minutes. Dearmer Barnes scored two, two of the, the mall tries. So Sean Klein was outstanding. And I thought, like, O'Mahony was brilliant. But I thought Orgy Snyman, for the time he was on the pitch, really, really showed. You know, like it's obvious why Munster wanted to keep him, but like lots of people were kind of saying, like, are they mad to keep him on? You know, he might never be the same player again. And there was definitely a sense of being it's a calculated risk because with back to back ACL ACL injuries, you you, don't, you never know how a player is going to come back. But Munster have been really really good in terms of the S and C side of things, the medical side of things. They haven't rushed him back, but I thought we saw at the weekend that this guy can definitely definitely get back to the heights that we saw before he had the injury. I thought he was outstanding. I watched the game back on um, on Monday, and he was even better on second view. And I probably hadn't appreciated how good he was while I was watching it live. Just so many big moments. Obviously, he's ruled out of the Sharks game this weekend where he got a head injury in, in the win over Stormers. So he'll, he'll be out, which is really unfortunate because I thought himself and Jean Klein struck up a really strong partnership and you can see why Munster have backed him. So I think that bodes well because I think a lot of people would have kind of been saying it might be next season before you see, you know, Orgy Snyman getting back to his best. But like that kind of form and doing it down in South Africa will won't have gone unnoticed by the by Rassi Rasmus and Jack Nienarber. So like he's playing for a spot in the South Africa World Cup squad as much as I'd imagine Munster and their supporters would love if he was left out just so he could get another summer under his belt a preseason. But that's probably not going to happen when you see the way he's playing. So that was a huge, huge positive as well, I thought. Yeah, a couple of things as well that jumped out to me. I, I just think Shane Daly and Calvin Nash are in such good form at the moment. They're so threatening. Like Even that Sharks game, which Munster got badly beaten in, I thought they were like two of the really standout performers. They, every time they got the ball, they were making things happen. And again at the weekend, I know Shane Daly finished his try very well. And, and just generally, I thought they were they were really in, in tune. And I also think the time that kicked off had played a massive difference in terms of the Sharks game. Like That was at half 12 in Durban or 1 o'clock, 1.30 in Durban. It was like 30 degrees. This was at like 6.30 in South Africa. I think it was a lot cooler. I don't think it was quite as warm. I really do think that made a massive impact in terms of Munster, Munster wilting the first day and being able to last the pace a little bit longer the second day. But maybe I'm not a meteorologist, so maybe I've just pulled that completely out of it. <laughs> I think it's obvious enough to say in fairness, and I, I think it's well pointed out. Uh, those, those, those kind of things do make a big difference, particularly in the pack. When you talk about that being the key thing for, for Munster on the weekend, you know, and how they performed and, you know, during the key moments in the game. I I also felt defensively, I thought they were excellent. I mean, look, the last try was um, a lovely finish, but I just thought the way they kind of, those last couple of phases, they kind of really shut down any opportunity of the Sharks having a chance to win that game. I know they got that try at the end, and it was it looked like Daly to me, looked like he picked up a bit of a, whether it was a cramp or something like that. He didn't step in and, and, and kind of bail out Earlsey, who probably got himself in a, in a messy enough situation. But... Um, it was a serious finish by them, but uh, look, I just think overall, I think it was a, it was a big step in the right direction for Munster. I thought, um, you know, it'd be a big lift for the pack to come out uh, on the right side of a result against that Stormers team away from home. Uh, and I thought defensively, they took a step forward, um, which was really important for them to do. I think there had been a lot of concern about the just the sheer number of points that they had shipped. Um, that's just not good enough. Like you just can't compete against the top teams when you're when you're conceding that many points, no matter how good your attack is. Um, so yeah, it was good to see those guys performing well, Will. But I actually thought defense was the kind of was the key difference, really. Uh, you know, keeping that score to something that's manageable that you can work against, um, particularly on the hard grounds in South Africa. They all, there's always some serious speedsters playing on that on on the hard deck down there. 
um, that make it you know kind of difficult to contend. I thought they did a really good job on that, and that to me was the step forward for the team um, from the, from the last couple of weeks. That was that was the big I thought it was a big point of difference anyway. Um, so I was really pleased for them. Uh, I think they look like they're in a decent position in the league now. Just need. Uh, another another push, I think. Hopefully, uh, to to make themselves, I think, perfectly safe. I think it looks like there's. I think they're they should they're in anyway. But it just, you know, to to cement that position and cement uh, like the the big comeback in the, I suppose, the last three quarters of the season. Yeah, and I think the Sharks obviously a, a tough opponent this weekend, but in some ways it's a great opponent for them to be able to test themselves against a team that absolutely ran roughshod over them just you know three or four weeks or whenever that was and. You know, they do probably still need to get something from this game, even if it's a losing bonus point, to make sure they're into the Champions Cup because Connacht could be playing a Glasgow team with nothing to play for. They might even rest some players ahead of their European semi-final the following weeks since they can't move up or down in the standings. So there is a, it's, they're not out of the woods yet, so that's why it's very important that they get a good result this weekend. Keen, one thing I'd like to ask you that you brought up there was Joey Carberry's position now. You know, He went from at the start of the year or even back to November, I suppose, second choice Ireland at half, first choice Munster at half. Now he's out of the Ireland squad and third choice Munster at half behind Ben Healy at the weekend, who was leaving at the end of the year, albeit he was very good when he came on. Like, what what is Joey Carberry's future? Do you think at Munster generally? It's tough. Yeah, it's tough. Uh, again, we were talking to Mike Prendergast about this yesterday, and like he didn't shirk the issue at all. Like that, it's been a very very tough few months for. For Joey Carberry, and I suppose Munster's argument is, you know, they're picking the best team that they see fit for now. So in their eyes, it doesn't really matter that Ben Healy is leaving at the end of the season. They believed he was the right man to come off the bench. And look, you'd have to say they were fully vindicated in that because Ben Healy was really, really good when he came off when he came off the bench. So look, like I still think it's it's way too early, and I don't think anyone is, to be fair, writing off Joey Carberry's career. But like his problem is that he lost his place in the Ireland squad when at a time when Jack Crowley wasn't even playing 10 for Munster, they were playing him in the centre. But now all of a sudden, Jack Crowley is ahead of him for Munster as well. And yeah, like you said, Ben Healy is is getting picked ahead of him. So um, I don't know is the, is the short answer what, what, he, what he does. I think, you know, maybe a, a summer off would be good for him, but he'd probably be in the wider Ireland squad, you'd imagine. I don't think, like if the World Cup squad was being picked in the morning, he's not going to be there. But like if there's, doubts over Johnny Sexton's fitness by the time the preseason starts you'd imagine Joey Carberry will be in and around the squad but maybe he just needs a bit of a break a refresh like take stock of where he is because like this is a guy who you know we've we've discussed that length like the, the three of us that like his career was hanging in the balance with that uh, ankle injury and it goes back to 2019 when he never should have went to the World Cup and while I understand why he did because you know he might never have gotten another chance and look as it turns out he might not get get another chance because if the World Cup squad was being picked right now he wouldn't be in it so he he hasn't looked like the same player uh, I think that's fair to say really even you know mentally I wonder how much the injuries have taken a toll on him that's probably something that doesn't get discussed enough it's probably more just on the physical side of things but I wonder how much mentally that that took off him took out of him so um I still think he's young enough what is he 27 there's still time he's a quality player like that hasn't you know that quality that he has hasn't gone away but Jack Crowley like we are talking about Sam Prendergast and the excitement around him, the, the excitement around Jack Crowley is fully justified and we've seen enough evidence now both for Ireland and for Munster to see why I would say, you know, no one in Munster is probably going to admit it on the record, but I would say they see Jack Crowley now as their as their number 10 going forward unless something drastically changes. Like the writing has been on the wall, you'd have to say for Joey Carberry earlier this season, like he was being taken off in big games and Jack Crowley was the one switching into 10, you know, so that said a lot as well. So I still, still think there's time for Joey Carberry to, to bounce back. Um, be interesting to get Luke's take. I know what he thinks in terms of where his best position is and maybe that's something that could be explored, but he was signed by Munster as their mark key 10 like he made a big like life decision career decision to leave Leinster because he believed that he was good enough to replace Johnny Sexton as Ireland's next out half and he would have looked at this World Cup as a chance to do it and now all of a sudden he's fighting to be the third choice uh 10 in it so it's been a massive fall from grace um really disappointing I think from a personal point of view like he's a really 
like I know it doesn't really come into it, but he's a really nice fella, and maybe he's too nice for his own good at times. And you do feel sorry for a guy like that. But like you look at, I thought it was very noticeable again when Ben Healy came off the bench on Saturday. Munster were in a huddle at one point, and the camera focused in on him. You could see Ben Healy like you know roaring and shouting at the players around him, and that's just not something we see from Joey Carberry and it's become a bit of a stick to beat him with but you can see it from Andy Farrell that's what the Ireland coaches wanted to see from him when they dropped him they wanted to see a reaction and I think Joey Carberry would probably be the first to admit that since he has been been dropped by Ireland we haven't really seen that reaction that you know I think Andy Farrell was hoping to get and if anything it's probably had an, an adverse effect so uh, tough times for him Will but I certainly wouldn't be wouldn't be writing him off I'm just not sure like, is it an arm around the shoulder? Like, how do you kind of manage this situation? Because you've got to remember, like, he's a human being at the end of the day as well. Yeah, I, I agree with points you're making. I suppose, like, ultimately, his form hasn't been good enough for a club or a country. And I think we've seen loads of cases over the years of, be- of players being kept in Ireland squads who haven't been playing great. And everyone's always tr- saying, well, why is this player still there? And then they go back to club level. They're still starting week out for their club. And you're still thinking, well, do, do they actually deserve their position? I think when you're ultimately brutal about it, I don't think he's playing well enough to be in either squad. I I, I think it's it's tough on him for sure. But that's the way I look at it. Like, as you say, Keane, he was, he played, a, he's played a lot of games for Munster this year. He never really kind of, grabbed them by the scrub for the neck and like dictated things or got back to his best form even though Munster had some fixtures where on paper you'd be thinking this is an ideal game now to reassert yourself so I think it might be tough but I think it's probably you know justified and fair that he is where he is at this point in his career similar to some other players that lost their way post 2019 he just has struggled to get back Luke what's your perspective on it yeah I mean look I suppose I just never really seen him take a game with a scrub for the neck at 10 and really dominate um I, I first of all, first of all, like this is a really tough period in his career, um, and I kind of hate joining like a, a like a, a pylon. But I, look, I, I've got to be consistent with my views, and I think you know I change it if if there was if there was something to base changing my opinion on Joey Carberry at ten. But I just haven't seen anything to support that at all. I think um, you know I've always kind of had some concerns around his size at ten. I think he's a poor defender. Um, so I'd nearly rather having him at fifteen. You can kind of hide someone there um, from a from a tackling perspective. Um, and I, yeah, I think the personality thing. Like he's a lovely. He's a he's actually a really lovely rugby player. Like, but I just think at ten, it's the structure of it there. I I think he's kind of more a moments type player versus someone who can take the ball for. 40 or 50 percent of the time you're 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 kind of possessing the ball him kind of controlling things and making all the decisions and guiding the team around the pitch i just i've never seen him as that player i always felt like it was one of those kind of rubbishy things that came out of graham henry coming over to leinster for three weeks like yes of course graham henry's like probably forgotten more about rugby than i'll ever know but like basing your whole career decisioning on Graham Henry senior for three weeks in preseason and saying he should be your next 10 always felt like absolute rubbish to me. Um, you know, everyone just kind of faffing around about a, a throwaway comment from a guy who really shouldn't have been making a call like that after watching someone during preseason. That always seemed crazy to me. Um, and I'm obviously not having a, a go at the great Graham Henry, but that to my mind was, was madness. Um, so look, that's that's where I kind of sit on that one in terms of going forward for him. Look, I think tough times do make tough people. He's already come back from a very very difficult injury, um, and he's come back to some pretty pretty good form. I think um, he's still an excellent rugby player, and, and I by no means would I be writing off a guy who can come back from a, as serious an injury as that. He certainly has, you know, this is this is a time for him to be kind of a little bit introspective, and and I think what he can do is he can call on you know, what he has done in terms of getting back from this injury to kind of guide him through this. You need to tough it out now and grind it out. There's a perception now that he's probably number two there. I think that's probably fairly solid at this point, given what's happened in the Ireland squad and certainly what's been happening this season with Munster. Um, but he need, that needs to be a rallying call for him and he needs to go in every day uh, and just continue to work on himself and focus on that. And I think opportunities will come um, for him to, to show what he's made of. Uh, and look, I think if it's... if if it's never lost from like I always think someone like him he could be a great fit at somewhere. This sounds like, like I'm I'm jumping a few rungs ahead, but let let's stick with that theme about what what he does going forward. If things don't work out for him at, at Munster, there is still an opening up in Ulster. I think for someone, I think he's better. He's a good bit better than Billy Burns. Um, so there are, oppor- are options for him if things 
don't work out at Munster and they and they continue on just to continue to pick uh, Crowley and none of the Leinster guys want to go up to, to Ulster which they don't seem to do so there's going to be three or four of those guys sitting there in Leinster I still think I if I was him I'd be thinking okay if it's, if it's not working out here if there's a clear picture next season uh, you know at Munster that Crowley is ahead of me why would I not look up north so um, yeah that's just a, a, a last kind of throwaway um, kind of comment I don't know if that's uh, <laughs> if that's helpful to him or not, but um, it's an interesting thing to talk about, certainly. Uh, so he's by no means out of the race. I think the World Cup is looking like it's going to be maybe a stretch for him unless he's a really, really strong finish in the in the URC. Uh, I just can't see it happen for him at the moment. I just don't think, Unless there's an injury, I can't see him getting back in um, ahead of Crowley at this point. And I think there's probably enough behind... Um, you know, I think Johnny does get back for that World Cup in time, and I don't think he'll take four over as cover, uh, personally. Um, so I think the World Cup is looking really under threat from at the moment. Speaking of the World Cup, Keane, like one thing I do want to touch on before we finish up is the idea that we might have some sort of orange card brought in for it or some sort of kind of foul play TMO, kind of like what we've seen in Super Rugby this season where if there's an incident of foul play, the referee can give a yellow card. It gets looked at by a TMO for the 10-minute period. And then it's either upgraded to a red card or kept at a yellow card and the player can come back on. It's an interesting, you know, talking point. It's an interesting idea. Like there have been high profile incidents to Freddie Struan recently of like lengthy TMO uh, stoppages that have ultimately been reversed. Um, do you think it's a, a good idea to potentially bring this in for a World Cup? Yeah, I, I do. I, I'm surprised that if they're, which it sounds like they are, they're going to fast track it in time for the World Cup. Normally with these kind of things, they're brought in at the start of cycles and, you know, there's a load of time to, to, you know, iron out whatever problems there are. So my understanding is that it's going to be brought in for the 20s World Cup this summer. Now, to be fair, World Rugby have clarified and said that there won't be any orange cards. Uh, 20 minute red cards won't feature at the 20s. 20s World Cup which I have to say I'm a fan of I think they've kind of tightened up what they're doing in Super Rugby because I just think I don't really agree with the 20 minute red card as a concept anyway I have to say and even some of the stuff that's going on in Super Rugby at the moment is I would say bizarre you had an incident I don't know if either of you guys saw it a couple of weeks ago in the Brumbies and I think it was was it the Reds uh, were playing and you had shock and tackle like And I understand, and I put it on Twitter, and I actually had to mute the thread after about 15 minutes because I had loads of people telling me that, you know, the referee is following the directives. And that's fair enough because the referee, I can't remember who it was, showed a yellow card and he goes off then and he has the, you know, the decision assessed by the TMO. But that that incident was as blatant a red card as you're ever, ever going to see. And that's not what that, that law is about. And to be fair, World Rugby have stated in the... The latest um, press release that they've said, clear and obvious red cards for foul play inv- involving contact with the head will receive, re- will receive a red card resulting in player being removed permanently. And that to me is the, is the crucial thing in all this, Will. You can't have referees like passing the book onto a TMO for incidents that are as blatant as they come. And that incident in Super Rugby, I just thought it was a shocking look. If anyone was watching on going like you know particularly parents of like younger kids going like what is the story with this sport like how can that be shown a yellow card and i know it's the the point though not keen that the yellow card is given and then it's so immediately then it's being looked at so it's not like a case of the referee then looking at it for a lengthy period then are we are we not just doing the same thing then if the referee is still having to look at it because like i know what you mean some of them are okay that one in particular was outrageously blatant but there's other ones that aren't quite so blatant that would require no, I I agree. I agree with it. For the Freddie Stewart one is a is perfect example. You look at Zach Mercer a few weeks ago in Montpellier with that red card was rescinded as well. I have no problem with it for incidents that are properly debatable. But I just don't think we can ha- we can get to a point in the game where someone nearly decapitates a player and he's shown a yellow card and then okay it gets upgraded to a red. But like you you have the referees. I feel like still have to be the ones in charge. And when incidents of foul play are as blatant as that, you've got to like stamp that out and just, it's, it was such a bad look, but I, I, I think. But what why does it make a difference if that's the rules like that? It just gets, it gets a yellow automatically and then it's just upgraded. Does it really matter if it's being upgraded like five minutes later than if the referee shows it himself? 
I I think absolutely it does, yeah. Like, how can a red card offence, in my mind, is a red card offence? Like, showing a yellow card for nearly, like, literally taking the head off someone. Like, I'm not even sure what what ban that guy ended up getting. But, like, that's just not a yellow card offence. And I understand, yeah, it gets upgraded to a red, but we can't reach a point in the game where... Like, what do you have to do to get a red card? Do you know what I mean? Like, if like if we're being serious about protecting head injuries and all that, then there's no room for mitigation in, in, in circumstances like that. So I just fundamentally disagree with, you know, upgrading it to a red card. And I understand it for, you know, controversial decisions like the Freddie Stewart uh, example. But for stuff like that, where it's head injury, like the guy who he hit in the head got up and stumbled all around the place. It was a horrible, horrible incident. And like I said, anyone watching on who wasn't familiar with rugby would have gone, this this sport is absolutely bananas. So um, I just feel like referees like shouldn't be in a position where, you know, they're doubting themselves over incidents like that. And I know I'm focusing on one particular incidence, but you, you don't want the referee getting to a stage where he's second guessing himself. But for incidents that are not as clear cut, then absolutely, I'm all for this. And I think it's a good idea. But like I said, I'm just a bit surprised maybe it's being rushed through at this stage of a World Cup cycle. Like the World Cup's only around the corner if we're, if we're thinking about it, you know? Yeah. Well, one thing I think is, is a good thing is that it does remove this, what I've, what, we see all the time now is like referees reviewing things on big screens and the crowd baying for blood like no matter what the incident is uh, i like, don't know is that not part of the drama though but like, i i do think that definitely influences referees as well like if that if that freddie stewart one happens in twickenham and the crowd are not baying for blood like do, does he still get the red card like i, I don't know i don't know i think i would uh, I, I don't know maybe i'm just a, a, a romantic or something but i would hate if that part of the game was was Got, like got out of it like i think that's like part of it that the crowd are getting involved and stuff and okay yeah i'm not, I'm not saying they shouldn't get to see the incident or anything because obviously that is that's that shouldn't be the case but it's just that i feel like it can be very influential like because well, this this thing of the referee walk reviewing it on a huge screen versus like which is another flaw in the system in my opinion like a tmo is looking at it six inches from his face the referee is looking at it up in the sky and like the idea that they're adjudicating it's not as if they're seeing everything crystal clear i don't think on those big screens like having been in stadiums myself and you don't see everything as well as if you're looking at it right in front of you that's another point but i i get what you mean about the fan element of it but i do think it can be very influential and taking that part out of it you could end up getting much more accurate decisions that don't get rescinded after the fact potentially i suppose where do you draw the line like i mean how far do do we go with this does the game become like I'm all for getting the the right decisions. Don't get me wrong, but like there's an element of drama and theater, like with that, with the crowd, like bane bane for blood or whatever. Like so, um, yeah, like you don't want to make the game kind of too sterile either, where the ref is going into a bunker and then you know he comes back out and has made the decision. So, um, it'll be interesting to see how it goes for sure. Like I'd be very curious to see watching the Twenties World Cup this summer to see how it goes and if they do decide to bring it into the world cup because if they do then obviously most of it well sorry everyone over this side of the world won't have experienced it before so yeah it'll be interesting yeah it's a risk because you know, we're talking about loads of these different things here they as you say they haven't trialed it up here yet so all the irish players all the english welsh scottish french players they won't have experienced it so it's a massive risk to bring in something so high profile for the marquee tournament luke what's your view on it yeah like i think it'll be right for a few decisions because um you know, there are some ones that aren't clear cut and it's nice to have another option. But I just wonder, do you just make it like our game is so technical already? Does it does it add another layer of complexity to to our game? Um, I think it might provide a solution for those ones that are kind of trickier for us to call where you're, you're literally like you're talking to people who've played the game for years and years. Like I was sitting next to a couple of really experienced rugby players at the uh, Ireland England game and we all came down to kind of different different sides of that coin like it was kind of interesting to hear the different views on it but there's lots of lots of collisions like that um that do occur during this the, the kind of game you're kind of going okay well maybe that would fit quite nicely for something like that right particularly when the intent i don't think is really there um intent probably moves me more towards that red space what would concern me will is that i think where we are trying to we're, we're trying to clean up the game we're trying to improve technique we're trying to improve that duty of care that people have coming into collision zones i think what this could do is it could kind of dilute some of the good work that's that we're trying to do to try and change some of the behaviors there that would reduce down the the 
um, the dangerous kind of elements of the game that probably we, we think are maybe not controllable, but I think lots of them kind of are controllable if people are being a bit more considerate heading in there and are working on their technique a little bit more. Um, I wonder, does... I think sometimes like some of these red cards are actually a, a good thing to have at times because yes, they can be very harsh, but sometimes if you if you were thinking about it as a coach or a player and you're coaching players, you're kind of saying, Do you know what, guys, if you're in this situation, the risks of getting a red card are too high. What we need to do is we need to think about how we're heading into this collision zone, what position we are heading into that, um, in into this area, and this is what we're going to do going forward. Yes, we might get one or two of them wrong. We might miss a tackle. We might drive them backwards uh, because we're just being a bit more considerate about you know how we're entering this area. Um, you know, I, I think um, do we. Do we stop people thinking that way about the game and trying to improve those 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 technique bits? Will um, well, what's by the difference? Though? Like, I feel like th- th- this is just being brought in f- to be adjudicated on in a fashion that allows the game to play on while it's being adjudicated on. I don't see why that would make players think differently to what they're thinking at the moment because it's still going to be a red card or a yellow card. It's the only difference would be from what I can see is that it'll be adjudicated on aside from the game while the referee plays on with the match. Yeah, sorry, I'm not, I'm not unbelievably afraid with what what like does does it mean that so say you get this orange is it I call it an orange card isn't it so like say you get that and you got this kind of twenty minute uh, uh, is it a twenty minute that that they, go, that they go off the pitch and the and the TMO is allowed to kind of continue to assess the situation as the game is going card. on. You get a yes? yellow card, and while you're in the sim bin, the referee decides or the TMO decides whether you're either getting sent off or being allowed to come back on. It's not twenty minute red card will not be in at the World Cup. Yeah, you've ten minutes to decide um, whether. Probably is a good thing, but I, I just wonder: Are we? The key part about all this, and I think it still stands, Will, is that do we? I, I think the harshness can kind of be good for the game. That you, you might get a few red cards that maybe you don't deserve. But even in the Freddie Stewart one, I thought it was interesting to hear Brian O'Driscoll talk about it this way. He was kind of saying, "Well, I think he's still too high heading into. A, yes, it's a situation that was awkward, a sporting collision." But he was still probably a little bit too high in that area, knowing that even though uh, Keenan did drop the ball, there was likely going to be a contact with another player. Um, you know, so I just I don't know. I, I wonder do we do we stop so maybe some of the good work that maybe is being done behind the scenes to try and change behaviors because you're kind of going it's not worth it. It's not worth being in those you know being in a bad being too high or, or being in you know in that position where you're going you know you're you're standing on the ground when someone's going up for a high ball and you're in the landing zone. I, all these kind of things that make it kind of high risk now because you can get a red card. Do we reduce some of that risk by maybe allowing this 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 take place? I don't know. Is, is the honest answer? And this remember, this rule hasn't really been brought in, Will. So we are talking hypotheticals at this point. But that's that's always my concern when we're when we're talking about being a little bit less harsh with our with our rulings um in the game is that are you know are we playing to that to are we softening up these kind of things and are, will we have an impact on the game in terms of to make it a little bit less safe and, and i think that's that's possibly a risk with this that's all i'm saying i don't think it's a bad i don't think it's a bad idea but i just that's that's always my concern with things like this because you know there is an existential kind of there are some existential kind of issues that are occurring within the game at the moment from a legal perspective um, you know, and we do need to try and get this right for future generations if we want people to continue to play the game. Um, and if we want there to be a game left after all this, you know, after all the legal stuff that kind of is, is piling up. So that's just my one worry. I think you have to say that whenever you're talking about kind of being a little bit less harsh with some of our rulings, Will. That's all. Yeah, well, it's certainly going to be very interesting to see how it's trialed in the summer at the 20s World Cup. And if it does ultimately get brought into the World Cup, it will be a major step. But for now, I'd like to thank Keen and Luke for joining me on this week's episode of the Left Wing Podcast. We'll be back next week. With more podcasts, in the meantime, you can subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or listen on independent.ie. So until next time, thanks for listening, and goodbye. This is an Irish independent podcast.